Hello and thanks for joining me in another week of Daily Devotionals. This week, continuing in the book of Exodus, at the end of last week's series, uh, which Ness led so well, uh, Moses had led the people to the foot of Mount Sinai, which is where we're going to be camping all this week, digesting these hugely significant events, which form a kind of a paradigm for the Christian's own experience of salvation. More of that a little bit later. Having escaped out of Egypt through the ten plagues and across the Red Sea, there is a sense now in which Israel have reached their first goal, their first destination. At the beginning of chapter 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai, or Horeb as it's sometimes called. And what happens first here is a kind of offer and acceptance contract between God and the people of Israel. God calls Moses up the mountain to meet and he puts the offer on the table. Uh, we're reading from Exodus 19 verse 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. It's common in many formal agreements that there's a kind of preamble, an introduction, uh, some context which tells the reader what events have already taken place relevant to this agreement. And as God offers this formal arrangement, the preamble states, God has already saved Israel out of Egypt. And Israel know it. They saw what God did to the Egyptians and how they have been miraculously preserved through the Red Sea and the desert. So it's on the back of this incredible salvation event that God makes his offer in the typical form of a covenant. So step one, you've seen what I did, how I saved you. Step two, these are therefore the covenant conditions. If you obey me fully, all of the rules and stipulations are not articulated right at this point in chapter 19. That's going to happen in the next few chapters. But for now, those are the terms of the covenant that God is offering. If that, then, step three, the covenant promise, then you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So is this what Israel must do in order to be saved or to win God's approval? No, God has already saved them out of Egypt. And that was because, well, not of, their any, not of their own merit of any kind. It was purely because of God's mercy and his previous promises to Abraham. So now, on the back of God having already saved them out of Egypt, he calls Israel to be uniquely his, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, a priest's role is to facilitate God's forgiveness for the sin of the people and in response to bring God's blessing. So in covenant relationship with God, Israel would be set apart from all other nations, set apart for God in a priestly role which would mediate forgiveness and blessing for the nations. 
which is really just an elaboration of God's promise to Abraham already in Genesis 12. Remember, he said, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the proposed arrangement. Moses goes back down the mountain to see if the people will accept the terms. Verse 7, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Moses is doing a fair bit of up and down work on Mount Sinai, probably getting pretty fit for an older man. But that's his role, right? His priestly role as an intermediary between God and his people, Israel. As Moses was for Israel, so Israel was to be for all other nations. And here Israel's answer to God is, yes, the terms of the covenant are accepted. So now that the covenant is on, the people need to hear all of those stipulations and details for themselves that we mentioned uh, a few moments ago. If they're going to be God's treasured possession, they need to know how to do it, how to represent God to all the other nations around and about. So Moses prepares the people until the third day, and then comes the big meeting with God, their new covenant partner. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and then with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. I wonder if we can imagine ourselves among the Israelites on that day. After all the careful preparation, warnings and holy distancing rules, Moses leads us out of the camp to the foot of Mount Sinai to meet God. In the midst of all the smoke and fire, earthquakes and trumpets, God is introducing himself to his people. This is not God up in the sky or in a fairy tale vision. This is God himself meeting his people, coming to them right in front of them. While the people watch on, God calls Moses up the mountain. And at that moment, at the foot of the mountain, I imagine a sense of relief that it was Moses who had that job because the sense of holy awe and fear must have been intense. So God's people learn that they are not alone in the desert. God is shepherding them toward their promised land. God who is holy, fearsome in power and perfect in purity makes himself known to his people and he binds themselves to his people in covenant. And as Christian people looking back on these events, we quickly recognize that what's happening here in Exodus is that God is establishing a framework, a paradigm in which we see the roots of our own experience as Christians. And the staggering thing is that we're in an even better position than these Israelites. God is also present 
to us, not on top of a blazing and shaking mountain in a glory cloud, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is every bit as fearsome and pure, but we are sheltered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We stand before him, not shaking in our sandals, but trusting in our Saviour. And our response is to worship God in holy fear with reverence and awe. This is exactly what the writer to the Hebrews says in his letter. This is what we should do. He says to them, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I encourage you to worship God in prayer right now.